The following podcast contains explicit language. Hello and welcome to the Slate Money Succession Recap Podcast, Episode 5. This is when it all goes down. This is the episode we've all been waiting for. I'm kind of incredibly excited to talk about this one. I am Felix Hammond of Axios. I am joined by Emily Peck of the Huffington Post. And this episode is so big and amazing and awesome that we have not one but two special guests. We have calling in from Reno, Nevada, we have Katie Baker. I, you know, like Naomi, I I came off a flight from the West Coast for this. Katie Baker writes for The Ringer and is based in Nevada or California, actually. California side. California side of the California-Nevada border. And notwithstanding the fact that she lives in California, she's come all the way to Brooklyn to be on this show. But we're also joined by Jacob Weisberg of Pushkin Industries, who, um, notwithstanding the fact that he lives just down the street, is calling in from a remote studio somewhere. I'm calling you from where we work on West 29th Street. <laughs> so Jacob used to run this shop, Slate, and has now moved on to grander podcastier things. But what he still believes in more than anything else is the awesomeness of succession. So we're going to dive right in here. This I'm going to say just off the bat that Number one, this was an amazing episode, but number two, the amazingness was not in the Veep-esque lines. This isn't one of those episodes where you're like, I just need to quote the whole show because it was so quotable. Like, this was one of those shows where, like, the things that you picked up on were like, oh my god, Marsha narrowed her eyes. We should definitely do a deep dive into the Marsha Logan situation um, because things got really crazy with Marsha dissing his wine cellar at the dinner. <laughs> <laughs> but I feel like first, to me, this episode was a lot about, you know, Siobhan and that promise that was made to her in the first episode that she was the anointed. And this episode makes clear that she is very much not the anointed. So this was the episode where the MacGuffin finally actually served some purpose. So in episode one, and I remember complaining about this when we did the recap of episode one. In episode one, Logan Roy comes out and says, I'm going to need to name a successor. And everyone kind of looks around as they're watching the show and go, why? Like, why do you need to name and, and he was like, something, something, proxy war, something. And you're like, okay, but explain why you need a successor. And then that creates the sort of central tension for the whole series, which is who is going to be the successor and whether Siobhan is going to be named as the successor and all of this kind of thing. But in the back of your head, you're like, why does he need to name a successor? And then actually, in this episode, we kind of have a reason why it might be a good idea to have a successor. Because if you have a liberal, young, female successor, that maybe makes it easier for you to buy Pierce. And so now, having number one decided in episode one that he needs a successor, and then number two now has like really good tactical and strategic reasons to name her in public for, you know, various PS related reasons, he doesn't do so. What's up with that, Katie? What's up with that, Katie? You can kind of see him, you know, he, he doesn't want to be told how to do it. 
And what stuck out to me about this episode and, and sort of this whole season is the presence of women and so many different women. And, you know, in this episode, you there is a scene where I think you see just Jerry and Raya and Nan Pierce, and they're kind of the, you know, and Naomi next to her, and they're kind of the, the, the locus of power. And you think about Logan, who, you know, has already told his own daughter that even if he doesn't believe it, you know, the market won't necessarily want a woman. So for him to be confronted by all these people who are telling him who to pick and what to do, um, you can just kind of see him refusing to. So there is this, there is this. Uh, I was really struck by that that last scene when yeah. it's just like all you have to do is make Siobhan the successor and it, it all falls into place. And just on his face, he just. He can't do it. And I was thinking, like, is this about Logan trying to hold on to his power, which he obviously wants to do very much? Or is this about Logan, like, just not getting what he calls the woman thing at the beginning of the episode when Shiv says, OK, we'll play good cop, misogynist cop. And he just looks like confused, like what? What? And he's no, oh, that, right, that the was, woman thing. No, but that was it. Like, that's the first time that Logan has been called a misogynist on the show. And in a weird way, it's the and this whole episode is the first time you get to see that side of him. He's been an equal opportunity asshole to everyone up until now, but now you're beginning to see. Oh, actually, maybe this is you know another shitty part of Logan is he actually does have deep misogynist tendencies, and he doesn't want a bunch of women telling him that he has to appoint a woman. Let them take care of the bottom feeders. We work on Nan. Uh huh. Okay. Good cop, misogynist cop? Uh, sure. You know, the woman thing. <laughs> uh, yeah. No, they yeah. like your politics. Okay. Uh-huh. Yeah. I know you don't like this pie. No, no, I... Yeah, I can see the logic. Yeah. I can good, see. good. Anyway, my baby soon. Hmm. Uh, well, I do think there's this uh, perception gap between the children and Logan about the succession in that they think it's fundamentally about which of them, and he thinks it's about whether and when. And basically, he, d he doesn't want to let go, and he realizes as soon as he names any successor, he is diminished and on his way out and will be losing his power. So he just doesn't want to pick a successor. But also, he has fundamental contempt for all of them in different ways for different reasons, including strong streak of misogyny towards Shiv. Uh, but, you know, his sons are, are basket cases. And he just doesn't want to pick a successor because he thinks he's better at the job than any of them will ever be. And Which he'll is do it when he has true, to. right? I mean, he is better at the job yeah. than any of them. And but, he doesn't laugh like a hyena. <laughs> but... So I go back then, Jacob, to the question I had in episode one, which is, given all that, why did he feel the need to tell Siobhan that she was his chosen one in the first place? How how much of that do you think was him trying to get her off of the campaign? That's what I've kind of always wondered. Like, like what percentage of mm -hmm. it was... But why did he care that she was on the campaign? I mean, they had to make a whole deal at the end of last season to you know, between him and Gil, you know, it just seems like it's kind of one less problem for him if his daughter's not tied up there. It's a power move for him. He wants her on his side. He doesn't want her out there negotiating against him, essentially, like Katie was saying, blackmailing him at the end of last so, season. So the entire, like, his, in his mind, the whole succession McGuffin was just basically a way of bringing Shiv back in where he could control her. Yeah. 
Okay. He's he's kind of a manipulative sadist, right? I mean, the idea of pitting the three children against each other and giving them all false expectations and then watching them go at each other like scorpions is appealing to him. Yeah, he likes that. But can we talk a little snitch more about the misogyny? Because, again, I have to come back to Marsha at the dinner. So the Pierces and the Roy sit down to this this dinner. I mean— <laughs> What a dinner. What a dinner. And Nan Pierce— turns to Marsha and starts to, she asks, like, something innocuous, like, where are you from or something? And she says Beirut, right? No, so, and then, she, no, so, so Nan turns to Marsha and says, so I hear you grew up in Beirut. Yeah. And then Logan immediately, like, jumps in. won't even in. let her answer the question. And just Nan's face, like this, this she's a brilliant actress. I think she comes from Broadway. Just brilliant. Cherry like, Jones. Cherry yeah. Jones. Um, and she also played the president in one season of, of 24, which is where I know her from. Um, you know, she just has this look on her face of just like total understanding, watching Logan answer for his wife. And then Marsha sort of like stepping up and getting a little huffy with him, you know, right? Where he says, oh, she told me her life story in one, you know, in one night. And Marsha's like, if you gave me a whole year, I couldn't tell you my life story. And it just it becomes this really interesting window into their relationship. And you see Marsha through the episode getting increasingly agitated with Logan and being looped out of everything, right? It's super interesting. She, she like, locks the door behind the rest of the family and then, like, gives him one barrel and storms off into the mm-hmm. bathroom. And and this is the first indication that there's any tension between them. Mm-hmm. Like, she has always been super supportive, and we've always assumed that she's had all manner of ulterior motives. But now, for some reason, things are coming out in a kind of bad way. I mean, the the big arc of this episode, we should zoom out a little bit, is that Logan has this idea that the family is going to alight at Turnhaven and, like, charm the Pierces into selling their company to... And, like, of all the families to enter upon a charm offensive, like, Logan is surely bright enough to realize that this particular group of misfits would never charm anyone into anything. But he, seem, he seems to think that's possible. And he gets angry when the kids turn out not to be very charming, which everyone knew that they wouldn't be. But the one person who kind of knows what she's doing is Marsha, right? It, the, Marsha is, the, is like the old world connection. And she kind of... Sp- in, on some level, speaks the PS language in the way that none of the Logans do. And, and Nan loves that she's not a trophy wife. Yes, she remarks at some point, this isn't the typical second wife that a man in your position chooses. Yeah, it was right. interesting. I thought that was interesting that the, yeah, I think it was tactical by Nan, but that the credit there is accruing to Logan, you know, <laughs> after after she he gets kind of upbraided by by her and snaps at her at the dinner table. I mean, that was... A moment where you just can feel being in that room and that that tension after mm-hmm. he. But I think that was part of like why the whole misogyny thing came as a little bit of a surprise, just because you know the casting of Marsha and the age appropriate second wife and everything kind of implies that maybe he's slightly woker than that, and he didn't choose a trophy wife, and now we discover that you know she's someone who actually prefers you know French wine, not that <laughs> she would ever tell him. <laughs> Another glass for both of you? Well, no, we tend to kind of keep it yes, to... Yes, thank you. Excuse me? His cellar is all new world, and it doesn't suit me. Why didn't you say? It suits you, so it can suit me. See? I'm not a difficult person. <laughs> uh-huh. 
I, so, Jacob, I need to ask you because, uh, you know, you're my wine geekiest of, <laughs> of, of, of guests. What do you think the wine that Nan Pierce was serving was? What do you think was that wine that, that Marsha wanted a second helping of? Well, Logan clearly pours Australian wine at, 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 in his cellar. No, right? I, I think well. I know. I think it's California. I think Logan <laughs> pours pours Screaming Eagle. Yeah, no, I think that was I think that was or a Opus Burgundy. One. Sh- I think we got a little glimpse of the shape of the bottle, and it looked like a Burgundy to me. Yeah. And I, I guess and okay. I thought of you at that moment, and I was totally <laughs> on her side. But also, Felix, I think this is the key to the episode in a funny way, because the Pierce family is the mirror of the Roy family. They have different values. They have a different style. They're much classier. They're old wasps. They drink French wine instead of California wine. They value, you know, PhDs instead of trophy apartments. But they're just as fucking greedy. Yep. And as weird. That's the ultimate lesson. Just take the fucking money. And they're also, like, unspeakable. I mean, they're dreadful people. I mean, I thought the interaction between Naomi and Kendall really kind of showed what Jacob is talking about a, a little bit. Like at the, at the end of the day, these at first it seems like Naomi's kind of his better. You know, she's working in a rehab and she um, she's also getting her treatment there and she seems to really have her shit together. But then, you know, by the end of the dinner, she is asking him to do drugs together and they're sitting in that helicopter drinking a bottle of vodka and just getting utterly shit-faced. And they're basically the same creature, you know, stripped away of the Shakespeare quotes. It's the same thing. So, I mean, the way I see this episode being constructed is that you have this, like, ludicrous plan by Logan to charm the pierces. It all falls spectacularly, goes spectacularly pear-shaped in this in this dinner, which is, you know, the most gloriously constructed dinner in, in the history of succession, I think. It was, it was really well done. So you get this horrible dinner. But then somehow, improbably, that disaster turns into success. It turns, it, it turns out that the very disaster of the dinner means that Naomi and Kendall can wind up like getting shit-faced together. It means that Siobhan winds up blurting out the fact that she's going to be the next CEO, which is kind of the one thing that maybe tips it over in, you know, for for Nan to say, well, if Siobhan can take over, then I might be okay with this. You know, and then once once Nan like mentally is like, I can be okay with this if Siobhan's going to be the successor, then she's kind of mentally made that decision. And then, you know, Naomi comes on board thanks to her, you know, torrid whatever it is that she did with Kendall. And then once you've made the decision, you can't kind of go back on it because you've basically mentally pocketed that $25 billion. And so even when you don't really come to an agreement in the room, by the time they leave on their helicopters, you're like, well, I can't give up this $25 billion that I've mentally accepted. And so they wind up taking it. Well, and they squeeze them for for one last billion. But also, <laughs> um, you know, what, what saves the deal is the children going off script and ignoring Logan. It's Shiv, you know, trying this sort of dinner coup where she says, I'm the successor and announces it. But then it's the scene in the helicopter when Kendall, who Logan has explicitly instructed, stay clean convinces Naomi, who is the one who is, has come in from California to, to block the deal, that take the money and run, right? So it's those two things that cause the deal to happen, which otherwise wouldn't have. Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% 
on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. So can we talk about the hypocrisy of the Pierces? Because that's the other sort of running theme is, you know, that wonderful speech that Nan gives about how money is a social construct, but virtue and integrity <laughs> actually <laughs> exist. And, you know, yes. and, and, and that whole thing where, like, is, is it Naomi who, um, you know, who starts quoting Richard II in order mm-hmm. to show how, like, high-minded they all are? Mm-hmm. Well, and then- Is that a little bit thin? Is, it, is that just a little bit too easy on the part of the succession writers here that you just have these... You know, this this veneer of waspy respectability, but really they're all just greedy folks. I mean, I think it's very accurate. <laughs> <laughs> what really stuck out to me about this episode is, you know, as we talked about, you kind of have these bizarro versions of each other. Them walking toward each other from the helicopter was like the Seinfeld. Such a great, I mean, such it was a great shot. so funny. And Papa Smurf holding hands. But, <laughs> um, but I, I just thought the details were so... It just really showed the different kinds of money and the, you know, you have Nan who's just, I have a friend whose mom is Nan Pierce, you know, and she would say, I'm, I don't want to interrupt your tipple. Welcome to our <laughs> funny little house. Mm-hmm. Those little details I thought were like so on point. And I was looking up who wrote this episode and it's uh, Will Tracy who used to work for The Onion and for John Oliver. And so, you know, he's obviously someone with a good eye for that kind of detail. Jacob, you're you're the most, you know... What's the word? Well connected among us here. Was this was this realistic in terms of its depiction of rich American wasp? No, um, and, and particularly, I don't think the dinner was realistic. But but interestingly, we've had two episodes out of five so far built around dinners. Uh, elaborately at a table. So, you know, we have to look at those in relation to each other. But I've actually had the feeling with both of them that they were just fundamentally implausible, you know, that at this dinner where these people have never met, that, you know, they'd be talking about not having sex in their relationship with Roman and, you know, just the, the, the things that came out of their mouths at the various points in the dinner as well as the cull scene, just seemed a little pushed beyond I, reality but to that's me. that's the Roy's. <laughs> I have one kind of logistical trivial concern, which is when Nan brings out the roast and she just puts it on the table. And curtsies. I don't know. Yeah. What? And they all <laughs> applaud the roast. That, yeah. How do they eat the roast? First of all, was that roast big enough for all those people? I don't think so. <laughs> Second of all, who's cutting the roast and how is it getting passed around? And why? I'm, I do not move in waspy elite circles, but like, why are they putting the roasting pan on the table? That just seems so, all wrong. So it, so it felt wrong, but it felt to me like it was wasp theater. That there's, the wasp, the, yeah. th- that there's, something, there's something about like Logan would never pretend to do his own cooking. Right, never. But Nan 
actually wants to pretend to do her and own wants cooking. to try to tell her housekeeper to treat have her. You never treat what yourself. Remember, yeah, she, but, she asked the the chef to have or the housekeeper to have a drink with him. So part of their pretense is that the servants aren't servants; they're really members of the family. But you saw the woman when she did the roast handoff kind of have this look on her face like, what a load of bullshit this is. I made this roast and she's getting all the praise for it. I felt right. that. There's one thing I want to bring up. You know, I'm sure we'll get to kind of who who these families are. Um, so, yeah. Well, let's but, do that now. Yeah, who okay. are these families, well, Gabby? Let me just put it this way. I looked up the Bancroft Wikipedia page and it includes this quote. The family members' private pastimes consist mainly of show horse breeding sailing and farming. However, the family has also produced a speedboat champion and an airline pilot. <laughs> I love the however, by the way. Like, um, so, you know, as as absurd as a lot of these details are, there's some some kind of, you know, weird people out there. So, Jacob, what do you think? Bancroft's or Salzburgers? Oh God, Bancrofts! I mean, there, there's no, um, they're they're real wasps, not not um, semi Jews, but also, you know, the story is exactly what happened with with Murdoch and the Journal, at least as I remember it. The Bancroft family was really divided about whether to sell and resisted and resisted, and then agreed on the understanding that they had quote ironclad protections <laughs> for the journalism, you know, yeah. w- which were worth the Kleenex they were printed on when Murdoch got control and immediately fired. Fi- the editor, but I think they're, I mean, you know, none of this is, is modeled 100%, but the scenario is Murdoch buying the journal. The Bancrofts put up at least a semblance of a fight. I mean, the Pierces, we didn't really even, the, the only Pierce who seemed to be opposed for about a millisecond was Naomi, and then all she needs is a glug of vodka and a couple of lines of coke, and even she gets <laughs> persuaded. That seems highly unbelievable. Right. I mean, his pitch was just like, you can have a lot of money and start over. That just didn't seem what is she doing with the company now that's so taxing on her? It's not like she has the yeah, it's mirror not, of it's his not like experience. She with would Logan. stop being in the tabloids yeah. if she got in another, you know, femur breaking car crash. Right. Yeah. I, thought I was that, not convinced by his pitch at all. Yeah. I think what bothered me the most was just and, and I I get I think I get the reason for it. And I think the reason is just to show that kind of money wins and Logan wins again. But the whiplash of being on the uh, helicopter and him slamming the window in frustration and then 10 seconds later. No, I thought he slammed the window in victory because no. he just no, got the he email. Was, no, uh, Jerry shook she her head no. He hadn't gotten it yet. Oh. And he was so mad. And then they land and then you know, maybe they get signal when they land or something. But um, I just thought it was a little too off screen, The this huge change, you know, a 180 change in the decision. But I guess that's what happens when you're willing to walk away from the deal. I mean, I that mean, was his that was his plan. That's it, what he... The well, he gave them phone. literally... I mean, he gave them almost everything... He, they wanted the only thing he didn't give them was was like the shiv thing. was his daughter he gave away tom it was like yeah that's that's not a problem poor tom, <laughs> tom. let's talk about tom for a second oh my god let's talk about tom because that is one of my favorite lines is like when it all all of the focus comes to tom and they're like wait tom are you going to be in charge of all of our news organizations you are you going to be the guy in whom, like, the precious editorial independence of Pierce is entrusted? And his immortal line, really settling this question once and for all, is, the king of edible leaves, his majesty the spinach. <laughs> I feel like that, 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 that probably really appealed to the Pierces. They probably, like, were really in on that vibe, you know what I mean? Virtue, integrity, these things actually exist. 
Well, the, just well because just this morning I went to the store and I bought a pound of ham and I pay for it by you know telling them I was really worried about the environment. <laughs> <laughs> Don't mind Tom; he finds other people's integrity a personal affront for some reason. <laughs> well, yes, that's thank you. I'm a piece of dirt. Oh, oh yeah, but, yeah, I'll but, take it. <laughs> but but Tom, Tom, if there was an acquisition, then as head of news, you would be the guy in charge of our crown jewels, right? Oh, well, we'd have to see about that. Ooh, hear that, Tom? Sounds dicey. Got a pitch? Tom, everything rests on what you're about to say. <laughs> oh, lay off. <laughs> oh, wait a minute, though. I didn't hear. So would he stay on as the head of news? Ooh, king of edible leaves, his majesty the spinach. I feel like that's the one thing these families agreed on was just like Tom is awful and his own <laughs> wife is right there with him. He they go out and have that um the conversation ostensibly about the dog they're really just freaking out together and he is that when he says to her like you could be nicer to me and she's like why you say dumb things and his face just looks like defeated just so sad like his wife is not on his side no one is on Tom's side but he is very much on Shiv's side he like builds her back up he says he says to her you are at the table and I feel like he gives her the confidence to then go in and say she's the next you know CEO and kind of like screws herself but enables the deal. I'm not well, he's been he's been told that his role there is to have the shit beat out of him yes. and take it, and <laughs> yes. then he's attacked by everyone for being weak. I mean, I yes. mean, like, yes. I mean, to your point, Jacob, about like the big dinner scenes, he got like one percent of the shit beat out of him in this dinner than he did in the last dinner. <laughs> mm, that's true. The when... one where he then you mean the one where he's kind of st- stood back up to Shiv. Yes. Um, which sort of carried over into this episode in the fa- in the way that Shiv is starting to get called out on a lot of things. Like she makes a joke and everyone's like, that's not funny, Shiv. You know, whereas <laughs> last season she was kind of had the swagger and you can really see that it's been drained from her like even I thought her the way they film her with her face she looks so pale and just so different from you know when she's striding around even in episode one so, so I mean this is this is the whole there was a big piece in Logan Vox. did that to her that's what Logan did to her and that's what Logan did to some extent to Kendall also he brings you in closer and strips you away of all your power so he can and, power and your self-respect you. because yeah. they, they all like basically the closer you are to Logan the more you hate yourself yes <laughs> it it really is. It's funny because there's a lot of lines in the show where they they talk about like Logan in like a sexual way. They'll be like, "Dad really bent over for this or something," and you're like, "Whoa!" But there is this weird like relationship with him and his kids. Like I, I felt it with Shiv in episode one, where it felt like someone who is you know in a relationship kind of has the upper hand and then shows the vulnerability and then it all changes. And he really like treats it almost like that. It's like a, a you know, people trying to break up and he won't let them break up and he brings them closer. And They're all desperate to please him. I mean, you know, Shiv says in that scene where she, where she steps out with Tom, I'm not even in favor of this and I'm desperate to get it. And Kendall had just said in the previous episode, basically the only reason I'm not killing myself is because I'm useful to my dad. That's the only thing that gives my life meaning right now. Right. So the the children are still absolutely desperate to please him, even as they get sort of get what he's doing. The funny thing about Tom is that he's so clueless, he can't even perceive between Logan's real bullying, as in the bore on the floor scene, and his pretend bullying at this dinner. He, he, He experiences it all the same way. 
Um, speaking of, there was this sort of like sad little scene at the, at the top of the episode where Logan actually pays attention to Roman and says he's proud of him for going to management training. And you can see Roman's so happy that his dad's paying attention and is proud of him. Then he immediately undercuts it and is like, don't talk about that, though, because it's like you're in kindergarten. So <laughs> he's like, thanks, dad. There's a lot of just scenes where it's like, this could be the dad. This could be the great dad. Like um, Logan gives a toast when they all get to Haven, you know, the house in the Hamptons. And he gives this really lovely toast. And Connor, he like makes this aside and he's like, I like this dad. Why couldn't this dad be dad? You know, like everyone <laughs> just wants. Line. Yeah, everyone just wants Logan to be a nice. Can he just be a nice dad? You know, that's really what it's all about. So I do need to come back because as Regular listeners of the Slate Money Succession podcast will know I am obsessed with Marsha. I do want to just spend a minute talking about Marsha. What what do we think? Like we we have like the 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 bit where she like um where Logan at the very beginning says that he and Ray are gonna, you know, be a team. And Shiv says out loud, like, wait, why? You know, I thought she was the CEO of the rival company. But it's Marsha who, like, we get the cutaway and she's, like, narrowing her eyes. Like, Marsha is clearly upset about something here. And there's there's tensions between them. And she'd much rather kind of, she seems to be happier in the P.S. house drinking the Romane Conte than in the Logan house drinking the Screaming Eagle. I don't know. Like, what's... What do we think is going on there? I mean, what is Marsha's endgame? I thought she is upset lately because she feels like she doesn't have, she's not Logan's. She's just like another child. She's not Logan's number one. You know, he doesn't confide in her. He snaps at her at the dinner because she says, like, as an aside, like, is that true about, you know, Shiv? And he kind of tells her to shut up or whatever he says. Like, she wants to be his confidant and he has shut her out. And and that's the source of her anger. That Maybe that's it. a generous view. Maybe she has some other thing going on. I don't know. What do you think, Jacob? Well, I think the show is about power and her power is exercised through Logan. So the succession is is threatening to her as well. Right. And I think she maybe perceives in Rhea someone who actually would be capable of running the company, who's a woman who Logan likes and actually respects. So if you play out the scenario, you know, what happens? They throw Tom out. Rhea is in charge of the news business and then maybe runs the whole company. I mean, she's sort of the only person around the table who actually could do that job. Okay. I don't know. I'm, proje- I'm just, I'm just, <laughs> okay. I think there may be some little seeds planted in this, but I agree that we're going to see the Marsha plot is sh- surely going to develop, right? She's, it's just, she's just kind of bubbling, you know, and in this episode, we saw her kind of with this kind of explosive moment. So we see that there's something going on there, but we don't quite, it hasn't been quite explained what she wants to happen or what she's trying to prevent or what her stakes are exactly. So do you think there's a scenario in which, like, Marsha teams up with siblings to do something, take power from Logan? Is anyone ever M- going to take power Rhea from Logan? And Shiv yeah. all coming together in yeah. some kind of, like, matriarchal overthrow? Yeah. Is there any room for a matriarchal overthrow or at least a power grab from Logan? I mean, Kendall made his weak attempts last season, obviously, and now is a destroyed human being who poops in the bed. But is there anyone else who could do a candle and a bet and do it right right i think i think if you get like a if you get shiv and raya and nan and jerry and all of the actually competent women together maybe maybe they in if they combine their forces 
and and fight Thanos, they can win. <laughs> so one thing, I except they don't have the goal of advancing women. They they're uh-huh. all out for themselves, right? Yep. So any alliances they make will be merely tactical as ways of of winning themselves individually. One thing I was trying to think about is how you know we've kind of seen the Kendall arc. We're in the middle of the Shiv arc, so. To me, there's going to be kind of a more concentrated Roman at some point. Then I start to wonder, to what extent is Jerry going to maybe become, you know, the Rasputin, the, you know, she already. Oh, my God. So so basically, (laughs) Roman is going to become Jerry's puppet? I I hope so. I mean, that's what's happening right now, right? I mean, she really is dangling him on the end of her strings (laughs) and he's doing whatever she says. And Mm -hmm. oh, my God, Jerry's control over Roman is something (laughs) to behold. And and at the same time, she's kind of getting there's been a few points this season, including last night, where she's getting kind of like Logan's giving her a hard time at at the table. He says, well, technically, you know, Jerry's on the document as a placeholder, but we all know she couldn't do the job (laughs) or she'd be be the first to say that she couldn't do the job. And she's like. Maybe the second. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, she's so Brilliant. good. But um, and there was another moment I think in maybe episode one when he was giving his big succession speech, and so you know, it's almost like they're planting the seeds of her to start feeling a little bit of wanting to push back. I mean, I don't know. I'm just I'm just spitballing here, but I don't think any of the people that surround Logan have it in them to push back. I yeah. think they're all in order to stay with someone like that. You have to let go of all your. Your, your self-esteem, except, except all, your, for all your stuff. Conceivably, Rhea. Yeah, I love when, yeah. she's, when he says, she why wasn't I told of this? And she <laughs> says, first of all, not my fucking <laughs> That was one of my favorite lines. Yeah, that was good. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget, giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, so let's do some favorite lines. Katie Baker, what was your favorite line All right. this episode? Mine is Queen Nan when she says, I'm afraid we've gone so Unitarian out here that we've given up on poor Jesus and started worshiping Shakespeare. <laughs> Uh, And one thing I loved about the scene, you know, at the end when Logan says, you want to know my Shakespeare is what's funny is Brian Cox is like a noted Shakespearean actor. So I kind of was imagining this. He was about to like launch them away with with Coriolanus. Yeah. And instead it was the exact opposite. Uh, Would you like to hear my favorite passage from Shakespeare? Take the fucking money. I think my favorite line is, I got tipsy and I offered him the State Department. <laughs> oh, you stole mine, Felix, but it was <laughs> I we got had in a there before you. And I offered him the State Department. 
Connor was kind of adorable. <laughs> like this was the first episode where I was like, "All right, Connor, I see what you're doing. You got really? I don't mind What's you." What's he doing? Well, he was he got tipsy. I just like that he said <laughs> that particular line was rather charming. And then when he just said that aside about his father, I, it I don't know. He, he was all of a sudden a little more human than usual to me. But my favorite line was said by Tom to Shiv after that crazy dinner. He said. Jeepers fucking creepers. What a shit pinata. That was like the most Roy thing I've ever seen. It was like I got a quart of Roy injected into my eyeballs. <laughs> it was the best little dialogue ever. And then she just is like, yeah, I guess. And then she says, is there booze? And he says, are you kidding? It's just Emily Dickinson in low thread count sheets. I just love that whole scene so much. Oh, we've, we've all slept in one of those low, low thread count <laughs> twin beds at someone's funny little house. Funny little Funny house little with house. the brake bumper. <laughs> oh, yeah. Recipe from Teddy Roosevelt's valet. <laughs> um, so apologies for stealing your line, Jacob, but do you have a backup? Uh, here's a backup. Well, I guess it, w- it, it would have been uh, when Naomi said, would you like to take illegal drugs with me? <laughs> they both it's on both their minds and he says are you going to say it and that's that's her line and that's sort of the hinge moment the episode right when suddenly you realize that they're completely on the same wavelength there's a couple of hinges right because when they get off the helicopters there's this like very long extended hug between naomi and her ex-girlfriend and you're like oh we can see who she's going to hook up with and then she, you know, that was all like misdirection. Do they hook up? Did Ken, Kendall and Well, there Naya? was definitely a snog. Right. But I, I didn't understand why he, we don't have to talk about it if you don't want to, but I don't understand why he was <laughs> naked in the bed. Like that was just, he just got so. I, I, I think that was just, they really wanted to, you know, push that whole like shitting the bed metaphor and make it as literal as they possibly yeah. could. Yeah. The uh, question is like, did she leave that. the bed or did That's my he question. stumble back to the bed? I think it was probably the latter, but, or they probably would have like made it more clear that she had like been there for. Yeah. No, I don't, know. I, I, don't I don't think, I think, I think it ended with the snog. Okay, yeah, and I guess it's just continuing Succession's streak of not having anyone ever have sex. Correct. On, no one ever has sex beyond on this show. Roman. I, yeah. I, uh, I spoke with one of the writers about this a little bit. She was saying that that's like a very deliberate choice. Um, and, you know, as she put it, they, they don't, this is Lucy Preble, one of the writers, they don't want to show just like tits and ass, which is, you know, on HBO, that's, there are many other shows that are, have an opposite uh, ethos. Yeah. But she said that, you know, that, when it advances the story. So something like the Roman Jerry is really important to them because they think it, you know, it's very true as to how his sort of psychosexual demeanor might be, you know, as the guy he is. Wait, and now that you talk about nudity, I think I've only seen, I've seen Kendall naked. I don't think I've seen any women naked on this show. It's it's men who who get naked. I don't yeah, know. I mean, like that this, must be deliberate too. The latest sex scene we have is like two people in their jammies, right? <laughs> <laughs> I love Jerry's jammies. Oh, Jerry's pajamas are awesome. <laughs> like, yeah, it's just it's all part of the general Jerry fan club. Yes, I'm here for. I'm it. waiting for the you know the mean and ruthless side of Jerry to come out because right now she's. She's too sympathetic, and you can't be too sympathetic on this show without someone coming out and making you less sympathetic. Speaking of which, great moment where Roman just comes out and says what happened at the yes. at the buffet line, and everyone, I don't, no one even reacts because it's it's something he would say. Well, that harkens back to he's reading the um, the Latin on the wall. 
Help me out. Oh, my God. And he's like, truth in my vagina. Vagina trumpets. (laughs) Yes. But it was like, truth is everything or something. And and then there's that like humorless Pierce who like, you know, actually is him. Mm -hmm. Oh, the Pierces. Um, Who do we like better, the Pierces or the Roy's? Well, that's a good question. I would I would hang with Nan and Naomi for you know a, a real late night. I don't know about any of the men of yeah. the Pierce family. Zero oh yeah, the Pierce men would like terrible. they were yeah they were terrible. Um, Jacob Pierce's or Roy's? If you had to choose, I think I'm having dinner with the Roy's. It's way more fun. Uh, you know the the Pierce's. You've you've got to apologize to for making a joke about the dude's second PhD. It was a pretty good joke, too. <laughs> That's a good joke. Yeah, I'm actually getting my second PhD right now in Africana oh. Studies from Brown. Wow, is he be a double doctor? <laughs> well, uh, the second PhD is much harder. Yeah, five okay. years is an absolute gauntlet. Oh, I'm sure. But just think, you know, once you're done, you won't have to waste the 12 seconds it takes to look up something on Wikipedia. <laughs> I would be very intrigued to crack the case that is Marnie Pierce. And really, see, we need to get Kendall to see if we can get her, you know, off her rocker. She's kind of the... <laughs> Wait, school, which one is she? mine? She's like the school marmish one who's like oh, yeah, looking up horrible, electric yeah. circus on her phone. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, my God. When Roman is desperately trying to show he that he's read book. a book. Yes. <laughs> that reminded me of the scene in Almost Famous where they're like, it's a think piece. Like, he's like... <laughs> The circus is a metaphor for the anxiety of modern life. <laughs> and she's like, can I find it on Amazon? He's like, no. No, this is a book which was just written for me. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it, it did. I did kind of think I'd much rather hang out, you know, in general, the Roy family, even though they're terrible, they'd probably be more fun in a weird way. I don't know. Is Shiv fun? No, they're all no. terrifying. And I would never sit down at a table with them because I would come away feeling just crushed because they are devastatingly critical of everyone they come in contact with. I continue to just wonder, like, who are Shiv's also, friends? Also, they hate you. Yeah, like, exactly. They hate everyone. They hate everyone. I mean, what's that wonderful <laughs> uh, line at the very beginning of the episode where Roman comes in from his management training? He's like, I no longer speak 1%. <laughs> and, yeah, you're, right. and, you're, and you're like, yeah, because the thing that we have in common and that keeps us together is our utter contempt for anyone who's not us. Yeah, once again, there, you know, kind of as in the first episode, you you saw the scene of like food being prepared by the help. And, you know, it's not a show that's going to suddenly have a, a bottle episode from inside the mind of the help. You know, that it's almost, or maybe it will, but um, it, it almost seems purposely designed to show that they're just in their bubble, as Marsha called it, in their playground. And they think it's the world. And they don't, the show doesn't show like anyone else point of view unless it's working for the Roy's. So I have a question, Jacob, about Logan Roy's ideology that it's very clear what the tension is on the part of the Pierce family. That on the one hand, we want $25 billion. On the other hand, you know, we have this public trust and there's definitely this kind of thread of Kay Graham running through Nan Pierce And, you know, we are trying to uphold truth and democracy. And there's a little part of me which believes that we caused the fall of the Berlin Wall and all of this kind of thing. Right. And they want to preserve that. And it's part of it's part of their self mythos. It's part of what they believe about themselves is that they you know, that they're very important parts of democracy. Is that something that Logan naturally would destroy because he kind of cares about just making about dumbing down the news and and making it as you know stupid as possible or 
does he really not care about that? And he'd be perfectly happy to have that as part of his empire. It's not his agenda at the moment, right? Because right now he's just trying to save his company and he just has to eat this smaller fish to save himself, to feed himself. But he knows down the road he's happy to say whatever because it won't it won't mean a thing. And yeah, probably his agenda at the moment is not politics, but at some point he'll want to throw aside their values in pursuit of his vision of what news organizations should do, which is, you know, the the ticker on, on Fox News. You know, Murdoch, I mean, he did not keep his promises a lot with the Wall Street Journal. But today, the Wall Street Journal on the um, the news side is still a respectable product. They, they and on the news. opinion side, it was never respectable. Right. It, it so. was never respectable. That wasn't an issue at all. And I mean, he's tinkered a lot with the paper. He made the A-head shorter. You know, he made the news stories shorter. He did a lot of stuff, no doubt. But like at the end of the day, they did actually maintain their editorial. And Jacob, I have, this is a question which you might be able to answer. Is the op-ed page of the Wall Street Journal was complete wingnut, even under the Bancrofts? who owned it and controlled it like was that because the bankrupts on some point at some level were actually like wingnut republicans yeah i think so i mean i think they they were responsible for that editorial page that wasn't murdoch but murdoch did you know not only did he push aside the controls he agreed to and and fire the editor who was who was marcus broccoli you know he put in this, these series of news corp loyalists, Robert Thompson, and then Gerald Baker, you know, and I, I do think, I mean, I think in, in one sense, the journalism has held up very well. On the other hand, I don't think it's trusted, nor do I trust it under Murdoch ownership, the way, you know, I think it was had genuine independence before he bought mm-hmm. it. Yeah. So Rupert Murdoch owns The Sun in the UK, which is the biggest selling newspaper in the UK. And in the middle of all of this Brexit chaos, which we don't need to go into, The front page of The Sun was a picture of Jeremy Corbyn, who's the leader of the opposition, with the headline, Is This the Most Dangerous Chicken in Britain? (laughs) And everyone's sort of like, oh, that's very Murdoch, and he's like being very political. And what no one realized was that there's this Scottish version of The Sun, which only comes out in Scotland. And the front page of The Scottish Sun was floppy Johnson can't get an election. (laughs) And and I think what that just goes to prove, certainly for Murdoch, but I think also for Logan, is that, yeah, you know, I'm not ideological. You know, I am going to give my readers what they want, you know, even if it's the same paper in two different nations. And I feel like on some level, Logan's happy to give the pieces their editorial independence because he doesn't actually care about it that much yeah i have one one more footnote for you felix the book roman was referring to i think is a real book that he really read and i think it's uh, jennifer egan's the invisible circus which i read a long time ago but i vaguely remember what he said about it was accurate in that it's about a family and they're two it takes place in two different time periods oh wow and it's and it's like a thing about two sisters and the one's going back to figure out why the other one committed suicide. And I think it's a little bit of probably a joke of the screenwriters, but I think there's he wasn't bullshitting. He just had it a little wrong. Succession screenwriters joined me in the Jennifer Egan Hive. I love it. That's awesome. <laughs> okay. So yeah, is there anywhere for this season to go? I mean, this is this is also what happened in season one, right? Is that you get this big question like you know which then gets resolved in like episode four or episode five and you're like what happens now and like the big question was like 
is he going to be able to buy Pierce, the great white whale? And now he seems to have bought Pierce. And, right. you know, cousin Greg is turning up with champagne. Oh, my God. Gregory. What is, Excuse what is me. He goes by Gregory, Gregory now. What has happened to Gregory? What, well, he got what, promoted what? because he wound up blackmailing. So now he's <laughs> now he's Gregory. <laughs> he comes in and he has the move where he kind of like takes his glove off and he looks. I mean, it's. That's what happens when you wake up in that apartment every day. It changes you, you know? <laughs> I can't wait to see what else Gregory has up his sleeve. Yeah. Oh, my God. You guys, you get, you did it. That, uh, yeah, congratulations. Hey. Thanks, man. Hey. Yeah. Hello, Greg. I'm actually going by Gregory now. Okay. But, uh, yeah, no matter. <laughs> Thank you, Richard. Wow, how are you, Marsha? Good, thanks. And, and how, how was it? Was it, was it awesome? Or? Uh, yeah, it was eventful. Yeah, it was good. It was good. Nice of you to come by, man. No worries. This is huge for us. Um, and this, like, saves us, maybe, from the takeover. Greg! Hey, Gregory! Have a drink, have a drink, you beautiful Ichabod Crane. Fuck you. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well. Well, I, I gotta say, well done. You won. Yeah. Yeah. Money wins. Here's to us. Here's to us. That scene, the you know the way it ended after that that Greg's, Gregory scene, um, <laughs> it was so br- like just devastating that you know the toast, and then Logan immediately just puts his drink down, turns away, and goes up the stairs, and that's the celebration of the of the family, and everyone's just sitting there, you know, hating life, you know, qu- quite the ending. But it did feel almost like a little bit of a mid season, you know, fin- not finale, but it seems like there's going to be a whole next cycle of story. Yeah, we're exactly halfway through, right? Yeah. All right. See you next week. See you next week on Slate Money Succession. 